Welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of Action for Healthy Communities and provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Today's host is Mario espinoza Kulik. You're invited to listen, learn, and participate in our conversation today. Uh, between 1 and 2 o'clock, call in and be part of our discussion on this Thursday at 805-549-8855, or you can email your questions to voices at kcbx.org. Now, let's join Mario and his guests. Over to you, Mario. Thanks, Brad. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Mario Espinosa Kulik, and you're listening to Central Coast Voices on KCBX. Today, we will be discussing MPOX, commonly known as monkeypox. The, the Centers for Disease Control have identified more than 25,000 cases of MPOX in the United States since May 2022. Mpox is a relatively rare but serious disease that is caused by a viral infection closely related to the smallpox virus. Currently, risk is relatively low for the general public, but there are important precautions that can be taken now to help ensure the health and safety of vulnerable populations and our community's public health. For today's show, we have three guests here to discuss Mpox and how it's affecting communities on the Central Coast. We have Dusty Collier-Worth, Executive Director of the Gala Pride and Diversity Center, Dr. Miriam Giahi, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood California Central Coast, and Jenny Taranto, Supervising Public Health Nurse, Reproductive Health Program County of San Luis Obispo Health Agency. Welcome, Dusty, Dr. Giahi, and Jenny. I'd like to begin by having our listeners get to know each of you a little bit and how you have come into the work that you do in our community. Can you please tell us about yourself and the work that you do, Dusty? Awesome. Thanks for having uh, me here uh, this afternoon, Mario. Um, you, know, you know, personally, obviously, uh, I always recognize, as I like to say, uh, the privilege boxes I personally get to check as being a cisgendered white man. Um, so I, you know, I use try to use my privilege to uplift the voices of others. Uh, particularly that led to my role as the executive director for the Gala Pride and Diversity Center, an organization centered on strengthening, empowering, uh, and uplifting individuals of all sexual orientations, gender identities, and expressions. Um, but beyond that, recognizing the need for a very strong diversity, equity, and inclusion in our community, understanding social and racial justice, um, and uplifting that for all peoples goes hand in hand with uplifting the LGBTQ plus voice. Um, and uh, especially representing those with multiple marginalized identities. And so that has been a, a passion of both mine and happy to serve in an organization uh, that is dedicated to that work. So happy to have you here, Dusty. Dr. Giachi, would you like to share about yourself too, please? Sure, and thank you so much for having me, Mario. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Dr. Giahi. I'm the med Chief Medical Officer at Planned Parenthood California Central Coast. I came to this um, position as an OBGYN um, who was mainly focused on um, improving um, reproductive care, particularly abortion care. As you know, um, Planned Parenthood is a leader when it comes to abortion care. Um, but what I love about uh, Planned Parenthood is it is a leader in all of reproductive care. And this means that we take care of all patients. Our motto is care no matter what. 
We see um, patients of all different gender identities, sexual orientations, um, et cetera. And we really try to fill in the gaps um, for our populations in terms of healthcare services. Our patients, um, we really, we rarely say no. We really um, take care of them um, no matter what. We provide the financial means, et cetera, to take care of them. And for those of you who are not familiar with Planned Parenthood, California Central Coast, I just want you to be aware that we cover a 150-mile radius. We serve Slow uh, Slow County with our Slow Public Health Center, Santa Barbara County with our Santa Maria and Santa Barbara Health Center, and we also serve Ventura County with our Ventura, Oxnard, and Thousand Oaks um, Health Centers. Wonderful. Pleasure to have you here, Dr. Diaki. Jenny, how did you come to this work and your current position? Um, so it's a unique opportunity that I got. I was actually, um, had just started working at the jail, the county jail, and um, some things happened there. They prioritized their medicine um, and privatized it. And so I was given this amazing opportunity by Dr. Bornstein to take over the reproductive health program with the county about four years ago. And so here I am loving this job, loving serving our community here in the public health department where um, our reproductive health program is mainly in the North County, but we do service anybody in the county who, who needs help, who needs services. Um, and we, again, like Planned Parenthood, um, do not take the finances in into play at all. We have programs, we have um, grants, we have whatever we need um, to take care of our community. So here we are and just so happy to, to be here with you today and to get the message out to our community. Thank you, Jenny, and thank you, everyone, for being here with us today. Let's move into our discussion about MPOX. Before we get into the details of the virus, I do want to talk a little bit about the name um, that has been subject to much debate, um, monkeypox, and why some groups are advocating to change that label. But before we get into that, where did this virus even come from, and why are we talking about it now? So Mario, um, in terms of where this virus that we call mpox came from, um, you know, initially it was found to be actually a zoonotic infection, which is the idea that it actually was transmitted from monkeys to humans. Um, so that's where we get that monkeypox name. But really, um, this is a virus that is mainly being transmitted by humans, um, human to human. Um, and so um, currently we are um, monkeypox or mpox initially was um, found to be endemic, meaning that it was really only existing within um, um, certain parts of Africa. However, this past summer, we saw a worldwide outbreak of mpox. Um, globally, we have now seen over 70,000 cases. And as you mentioned, in the U.S., we are currently over 26,000 cases, with, with California being one of the hardest hit um, states. Oh, thank you for that information. That seems like, I mean, so many cases just in the U.S. alone. Um, in terms of the of the name, the stigmas and the misconceptions associated with that name, um, why monkeypox? Why why was that the name chosen, or um, and how has that perpetuated sort of these stigmas around the disease? Well, I think, again, it initially came from the finding that it was transmitted from monkeys, um, but we have had reservations of that name, um, mainly because of the association monkey has with uh, black and brown bodies. And so we really want to erase any kind of um, stigma around um, patients who may have MPOX that are black or brown, 
Um, and we are just, you know, knowing those racist connotations of that um, name and certain race groups um, trying to get away from that. And is there a difference between MPOX or MPX? Is there one that's preferred over the other? You know, this is really just um, the public health community is having a hard time making a decision. Um, and and so we, we see it interchangeably. Uh, we also initially saw HMPXV. Um, so it's been kind of tossed around in different uh, in different ways. To me, MPOX is sort of the easiest abbreviation. Um, so I, that's my preferred term. Um, what about you, Jenny? Do you have any preference or uh, ideas around this term? Um, no, we've been calling it MPOX here at Public Health. Seems like Dr. Gianni said, it just really seems to roll off the tongue a little easier, and um, it's easy identifiably by most people. And Dusty, any thoughts? Uh, no, uh, no uh, personal preference on the name, though. Like I would, I would tend to agree uh, that MPOX is kind of where we've generally landed. Um, you know, and especially an importance, as, as Dr. Gahi mentioned, that distinction and we're moving away from this kind of dehumanizing of calling it monkeypox, that kind of othering that's kind of built into the name, such as monkeypox. So mpox sounding more like something that everybody should be concerned about. Um, and, and we talk about othering and, and sort of the the way that monkey is um, a associated with black and brown bodies. Are there any examples that you can think of where the media or um, folks have shared any images that might also reinforce those stereotypes? I mean, I'll just say that I do follow on my Instagram hashtag monkeypox. Um, and while I see a lot of great um, educational tools and resources with that hashtag, um, you know, I do see a lot of times where just the, you know, the title is with a picture of a monkey. And to me, that's really off-putting because we're talking about real um, humans here, real patients. So I think that just getting away from monkey, from pictures of monkeys, et cetera, would be helpful. Yeah, speaking about that, I just what I was scrolling on Instagram earlier and on the Reels page, and there was this one reel of like a monkey filter on somebody who was a woman of color, and it was this reel talking about like calling out of work because they have monkeypox, um, and that that to me didn't sit right either. Just um, with that whole uh, stereotypes re- being reinforced, those racist tropes around um, the anim- anim- animal um, stereotype of, of bodies of color. So um, those are definitely off-putting. But I've also seen um, like medical uh, uh, promotion materials, health promotion materials that um, tend to use like the bodies of African um uh, men, women, and children from like years ago. Um, not recent pictures of people who have monkeypox because of the the disease spreading in the United States, but previous pictures of people from the continent of Africa. What are um, your thoughts on that, Jenny? Um. Well. I don't love the stigma that's that's attached to that. Um, you know, I'm not sure why they aren't using newer pictures and, and what's going on 
but I think this group that we have here together has been sending out some really great messages. Um, I know Planned Parenthood, I follow you on social media, and there's some really great stuff out there. Um, one of our other partners, the Center in San Luis Obispo, they're doing great messaging out there and along with Dusty's group. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we're standing right now. Um, and Dr. Kiyaki, what is there any sort of weight to um, like the relevance of images that are used in terms of um, the disease and, and what that might look like? Yeah, I mean, I was going to just add that, you know, I think at the start of this, um, when we when we were seeing this in the U.S., you know, as a physician who has to educate my clinicians on, you know, signs and symptoms and what to look for. You know, the reality was that because it was previously endemic in Africa, really the only source of information we were having were pictures of lesions on black, um, mostly on black bodies. Um, And so that was sort of a difficult predicament to be in at that time, because, you know, we want to educate on how it looks, um, but we don't want to assume that it's only occurring to people of this type of skin. What I have seen since now, if you um, Google images, largely um, thanks to communities that have improved education efforts, um, including patients who have posted on Twitter, on their Instagram, here's what it looks like, here's what I look like with um, MPOX, um, we are seeing that clearly this is not a um, condition exclusive to black and brown bodies. It's a, clearly it's something that can happen to anybody. And so I think now you're able to see in medical journals, on the internet, et cetera, a lot more variety of pictures. Um, and that's important, right? Because people, you know, how lesions look um, can look differently based on your skin color. So we want to see it on white individuals. We want to see it on brown individuals. We want to see it on black individuals um, so that we avoid missing it in any of our patients. Oh, and do, do, are there any sources that you might recommend to our listeners to where to get their medical information from, um, specifically around MPOX? And maybe if, if Dusty has any thoughts, too, on any relevant um, sources for our MSM community? Um, I think you can find, um, again, Google alone, <laughs> just go to your Google images or Google topics, but um, CDC has um, some great resources that include pictures of lesions. Um, there are um, you know, as this is a new epidemic, um, there are new publications coming out so that the medical community can be informed. This includes on like New England Journal of Medicine, which often provides certain images and articles um, available to all, um, to everyone. Um, so those are some starting points. Our public health department um, also has an entire section devo- devoted to MPOX um, with lots of links to the CDC, community resources, how to protect yourself, um, those type of things in Santa Barbara County also on their public health department site has the same 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 information and links. I think that speaks a lot to you. So obviously the sources that I would normally turn to and we encourage are places like the CDC and our, our Silicon Public Health Department. And I think that it's important to, to recognize, even when we're talking about some of this conversation about the kind of imagery and positioning that we're using, um, why I think you know even our local community has done better than some other community is the activation of people that are even joining me in this room with you right now of this care and intentionality to um, be sensitive to where the uh, the blind spots might be and making sure that the messaging is consistent, accurate, 
um, and supportive of those that are marginalized. Thanks. I'm Mario Espinosa Kulik with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, your Central Coast listener supported radio station. The voices with mine today are Dusty Collierworth, Executive Director of the Gala Pride and Diversity Center, Dr. Miriam Giahi, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood California Central Coast, and Jenny Taranto, Supervising Public Health Nurse for the Reproductive Health Program of the County of San Luis Obispo Health Agency. We've been talking about MPOX. Um, and the reasons why the public health community is debating on what exactly to call the virus, um, as well as where to get your um, accurate updates and news about the virus itself. In this next segment, we'll discuss the specifics of this disease and what we should know to keep ourselves and our communities healthy. We invite and welcome you to bring your questions or comments about today's topic to our guests. To do that, call 805-549-8855 or you can email them to voices at kcbx.org. As of last Friday, September 30th, the state of California had documented over 5,000 cases of MPOX. On the Central Coast, San Luis Obispo County has reported one case, Santa Barbara County has reported 15, and Ventura County had 24 documented cases of MPOX. In Monterey County, there were 19 cases, and nearby Kern County has reported 17 cases. Public health officials and community organizations have been working hard to stop the outbreak that began in May and June of this year. But the threat of viral spread remains present. In terms of MPOX, what can you tell us about the symptoms of the disease, Dr. Diahi? Sure. So um, with MPOX, um, what we are seeing is that um, often patients are first presenting with what we call a prodromal period, which is where they are feeling like the flu. They are feeling extremely exhausted, um, just really run down, maybe like COVID or old, old COVID. Um, and then what's classic about MPOX is that they develop a rash. Some people are developing rash the first day of that um, prodromal phase, um, but most are presenting the rash about like one to, f- you know, maybe four days later. Um, these symptoms are generally occurring within three weeks of exposure to a patient, uh, to another person with MPOX, um, and, but more commonly as early as like maybe 10 days. Um, so again, mostly people... Um, it's pretty rare to just have the rash. Um, they are mostly feeling really, really sick and then starting to develop um, lesions. And then as time goes on, um, we tend to see more lesions develop if they don't get treatment. Jenny, how's MPOX spread between individuals? Um, it's it's actually spread um, with close prolonged contact, um, skin-to-skin contact. So, um, you know, it also can rarely be spread on through bed sheets and things like that, but we're seeing it, the skin to skin contact for a prolonged amount of time. Okay. So to clarify that, that doesn't mean like if you brush somebody in, in, in like a narrow hallway or in the grocery store. Yes, that's correct. So, you know, if you're in the grocery store, a store and you brush up against somebody, very unlikely. It's more long-term um, you know, hugging, sleeping together, spooning, skin-to-skin contact like that. You're going to see more of the transmission in that in that area. Is the disease considered a sexually transmitted infection? 
No, it is not at this time considered a sexually transmitted infection. Um, we do see a lot of most of the cases through sexual contact, but there are about, I believe the last statistic, tell me if I'm wrong, Dr. Yanni, about 10% of the cases um, are not from sexual contact. So um, that's a pretty big number of people who, who are getting MPOX without having that sexual contact. Yeah. Do you want to add to that, Dr. Giahi? Yeah, I'll just add that, um, yes, of course, sex is a form of close contact, right? Um, it's a very for- close, for- a very good form of close contact. Um, but what I will say is, while I have seen lesions, for example, presenting um, on genitals, I also see a lot of lesions, um, for example, on hands. And I think that comes a lot from holding hands, to get, right? And so, again, it's just about contacting with that, you know, with those lesions. It's... Um, this is not through semen or, we, you know, we don't think through sexual body fluids. It's really just about coming into contact, whatever way you do it, whether it's holding hands, hugging or sex um, with those lesions. How, and how has this disease been associated with men who have sex with men or the acronym MSM? How did that association um, gain so much prominence? Dusty, do you have any thoughts? I think it's uh, it kind of got that, you know, kind of misdirection in some ways, just because it has disproportionately affected uh, individuals uh, that have male to male sexual conduct, either through like gay men or uh, trans men, and also disproportionately uh, people of color within that group uh, with multiple marginalized identities. Um, and I think in in a lot of ways, even as we're talking about that it's not a sexually transmitted uh, infection, um, though it can be transmitted through sexual activity, it was, I think, an additional way to kind of also other it. Again, that separation of this isn't something that I'm going to, to get because I um, am not somebody that has uh, sexual contact with men that have uh, sexual contact with other men. So it just disproportionate. I also think that there's also these opportunities when we think about, um, especially for gaming, a lot of the gay safe spaces where there might be a lot of uh, exposed skin, not through even through sexual contact. But I think that there was, I think we see these surge from places where uh, going out to the clubs where everybody's shirtless and, and dancing together, there's that opportunity for prolonged skin to skin contact with no actual sexual activity taking place. And this kind of reminds me of um, you know the the AIDS crisis when HIV was considered a what it was it was called gay related infectious disease GRID and then later turned changed to HIV um, or AIDS uh, which is HIV and AIDS sorry <laughs> um, and so that is giving me sort of these um, sort of a reflection point of like how that was so dangerous to scapegoat an entire community based off of assumptions. Um, while HIV is a sexually transmitted infection, um, are, do, do you agree? Are there some common points of, um, of tension here between how HIV was stigmatized and how MPOX is being stigmatized? I mean, without a doubt, as, as I've said from me, you know, this is this is not specifically the gay community's first rodeo with being stigmatized with an infectious disease. Um, 
again, I think it also comes down to even some of the, the conversation that we're having before. I think that's it's not just a stigma. It's it's a stigma with um, sex positivity in general in a community that, you know, wants to uh, put negative connotations to uh, other kinds of sexual activity and conduct that may not be in alignment with their personal uh, uh, approach. So I think that that's, it's a, it's a way to kind of multiple compartmentalize the saying, you know, I don't contone, you know, men having sex with men. And so it's easy for me also to vilify this disease as being a gay man's disease because I already don't agree with this uh, sexual orientation. <laughs> Yeah. And what happened? I'll just oh. add that, you know, we do this time and time again, right? We stigmatize viruses based on the communities it starts in. Um, we called COVID the, we didn't, I mean, people called COVID the Chinese virus, right? Viruses don't know what you look like. They don't know who you have sex with. Um, they don't know if you're a child or an adult. They just see you as a vector. And a, a, a vector is an opportunity to um, infect. And so, you know, we really, we're just always going two steps back when we, we try to do these associations. We just have to know that these, this is a virus and um, it's a virus that can affect anyone. And that is the case for MPOX. Agreed. And have any of you seen any um, organization, like coordination of local organizations on the Central Coast to address this equity issue for the MSM population? If so, what what are they? What are those um, uh, initiatives that have been started? I'll say, you know, right out the gates, um, I created an MPOX kind of advisory group through the county that included, you know, uh, Jenny and, and and Dr. Gaggy right right here, as well as myself, that direct outreach to communities, um, as well as Cal Poly representatives, knowing that we have a population that comes into our community there, to really thoughtfully talk about how we can address and get accurate information out community-wide, especially to those, directly to those that may be, um, you know, disproportionately adversely affected. So I think it was really kind of this, this team effort locally to really spread, you know, accurate and positive information uh, and prevention tactics and, and really having a thoughtful, bringing the right people to that conversation to spread the word, you know, including hosting various vaccination clinics to not only get the information, but also encourage the vaccine to get out there and uh, advocates at the across the county to get vaccine doses available to our community members. Um, and very successfully uh, in a lot of ways to get get those vials of, of vaccine out there and circulating uh, to, to, to keep us at that one reported case, hopefully, and uh, diminish this pandemic before it gets any worse. Uh, Jenny, would you like to add on how uh, language or cu cultural relevance plays into the information piece for community members here on the Central Coast? Um, I think these guys have done a really great job of of expressing that here. I mean, I think we're just doing the doing everything we can here. Um, you know, getting out to our people, getting out. Um, we're working with Promotoras here in the North County for some of our populations up here that are uh, Indigenous languages that are not written. So um, we're able to get that that out there too. Um, really trying to just hit all of our um, underserved 
people that we serve here in the in the clinic and partnering with the great people we're on the conversation with has been really great for me personally. Um, this is my first time getting to work with some of these people. So this is wonderful. We're hoping we can just keep the message going. We're going to take a short break to hear from our team and a little bit of music. Back over to you, Brad. And we will return to Central Coast Voices in just a couple of moments. My name is Brad Kyle with this item from the KCBX Community Calendar. The Dune Center invites you to a docent-led hike at Rancho Guadalupe Beach, a unique nature preserve. The hike takes place on Saturday, uh, this Saturday as a matter of fact, from 9 till 11 and features the tallest dunes on the West Coast along with the Santa Maria Estuary. Participants should plan to arrive with water and proper attire and footwear too. If you'd like to find out more information uh, and to register, visit dunecenter.org. And just another quick reminder that the KCBX Community Calendar features arts, entertainment, and nonprofit events here in San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Southern Monterey counties. You can submit your item or event to be shared through our calendar page. You will find it on our website at kcbx.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This week on Latino USA, a special presentation from The Some of Us, the new podcast series produced by Futuro Studios for our friends at Higher Ground. It's loud. And on a still day, you could hear it for, you could probably hear it almost halfway to the foothills over there. That's this week on Latino USA. On the next Fresh Air, to help shed light on the protests in Iran, we'll speak with Iranian-American scholar Pardis Madavi, who was once dragged out of a Tehran classroom by morality police while lecturing about her book on Iran's sexual revolution. Join us. Women are back in the post-pandemic labor force, but not all of them. It's not full-time. I'm not able to have because we don't have child care. The labor force participation rate, except without everybody participating. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. That story next time on Marketplace. That's all ahead this afternoon on KCBX. You can hear Latino USA coming up next at 2 o'clock. It's followed by fresh air from 3 till 4 and then a wrap-up of the day's business news with Marketplace from 4 to 4.30. The time is 1.30. Right now, let's rejoin Mario and his guests here on Central Coast Voices. Back to you, Mario. Thanks, Brad. The, the voices with mine today are Dusty Collier-Worth, Executive Director of the Gaelic Pride and University Center. Dr. Miriam Giahi, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood California, Central Coast, and Jenny Taranto, Supervising Public Health Nurse for the Reproductive Health Program of the County of San Luis Obispo Health Agency. We have been talking about the MPOX virus, also known as monkeypox, and how it is impacting communities here on the Central Coast. Thank you so much to our guests for sharing your knowledge and expertise. As we continue to monitor the status of MPOX in the community, you can keep up with these agencies on social media for further updates. You can find the Gala Pride and Diversity Center on Facebook at the handle at the Gala Center or on Instagram at the Gala Center. Their website is galacc.org. Planned Parenthood California Central Coast is also available on Facebook at PPC. Central Coast, that's PP Central Coast, or on Instagram at PPCA Central Coast. They 
also have information on their website, which is www.plannedparenthood.org forward slash planned dash parenthood dash California dash central dash coast. And the San Luis Obispo County Public Health Department is on Facebook at Slow Public Health or on Twitter and Instagram with the handle Slow Public Health. Their website is online at www.slowcounty.ca.gov and you can scroll down to find the public health agency. For this um, segment, we, uh, I would like to focus on how community members can take an active role in public health efforts to address MPOX and prevent outbreaks as well. Where can you even find a vaccine for MPOX? Um, let's start with that question. Are there any um, uh, advertisements or events catered towards people seeking a, a vaccine? Dusty? Uh, without a doubt, uh, you know, we have uh, the Gala Pride and Diversity Center in partnership uh, with Silicon Public Health has hosted at least one successful vaccine clinic already at the center um, with another one planned for next week on the 14th from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Uh, encourage uh, direct outreach to those that have already received their first dose to get their second dose. Um, as well as open to those that uh, have yet to receive dose that may want to get uh, started on their vaccine regimen. Um, it's been, uh, we had a really uh, great outturn, uh, turnout for our previous or hope, uh, clinics. We're hoping to have another one for this one, uh, over 100 people vaccinated. Um, I always say it helps that uh, we had live music and a taco truck. Tacos uh, bring people to vaccines, um, but that is not always necessary. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of other great outreach that's taking place um, countywide as well. Mario, I can uh, jump in. We are going to be having a few public health um, opportunities also on October 13th um, by appointment in Paso Robles, they can come in for the MPOX vaccine. And also, um, if they want a private vaccine, if they're in San Luis Obispo County, they can call our public health department um, at 805-781-5500 for a uh, private appointment. Sometimes those large events can be a little um, uncomfortable for people. And so we want to make sure that everybody um, has the opportunity to get the vaccine if, if it's something that they want and need. Um, so again, just calling the county public health department and we'll find a private appointment for you. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Dusty. Dr. Giahi, is Planned Parenthood um, hosting any vaccine drives or coordinating with any vaccine drives? Yeah, so we have been working with Santa Barbara Public Health and Pacific Pride, um, who have also done vaccine events. Um, and we have served as volunteers in that capacity to provide vaccines um, and are also looking into providing vaccines within our health centers. Wonderful. I'll just note that um, the vaccine is um, uh, available for those who are 18 and older. Um, and, um, you know, the the peak immunity really comes about two weeks after the vaccine. Um, so you want to be maintaining, you know, prevention efforts um, and then, you know, waiting at least those two weeks and then um, hopefully getting that second dose as well to improve your immunity. I'll say we've also had some great partnerships and collaborations, you know, with this is like uh, the center capslows uh, health health centers. Uh, as well as Cal Poly, you know, getting some of the doses available um, for both events and private um, vaccinations available to Cal Poly students as well. That's all 
Great. I wanted to know, while people are waiting to get a vaccine, um, what are some ways that MPOX can be prevented? Dr. Giachi, do you have any thoughts? Sure. So, um, you know, um, first off is if you are um, around someone who's feeling sick, um, to avoid contact, right? Whether that be they have COVID or MPOX or it's flu season. I mean, there's a million reasons why to avoid sick um, people. Um, if somebody has a rash, you want to be avoiding any contact with those rash lesions. Um, also, um, what we think has been helpful is um, just reducing um, going to large events um, that could have um, high close um, contact, um, potentially considering being better clothed um, and, um, you know, avoiding um, uh, possibly um, events that are like saunas or sex clubs where there may be a lot of um, intercourse amongst different individuals. So trying to stay away from those types of activities and events. Mm. And if people are concerned that they or someone they know might have been exposed to MPOX, what can they do? They can start by calling us at Planned Parenthood. Um, We do provide screening um, and um, treatment if um, diagnosed. Um, But essentially, they'll want to seek out some sort of healthcare provider um, and keep their lesions covered, um, mainly try to stay within, um, stay isolated um, for th- with those lesions until we get a response back. Um, but essentially not ignore it and seek out care and try to get, figure out if this is MPOX or is it, you know, just something else. MPOX can look like a lot of things. So just because you have a rash, most of the time it's, n- it's not MPOX. Um, but of course, if you're feeling really sick and then a rash happens, um, we get a little more concerned. Are there tests that exist for MPOX that um, are readily available? Are they available just at Planned Parenthood or does the uh, county also have tests, Jenny? Um, yes, we can test you here. So if you're feeling um, all those symptoms that Dr. Yanni talked about, um, go ahead and give us a call. Um, one of our nurses will be more than happy to see you. Um, if you have an open lesion, we can swab those. It's just like a cotton swab that we swab with. Um, we send it to our public health lab and we do get our results back quite quite quickly um, and give you results. And, and again, the isolation and really good hand washing. We always remind people do their good hand washing along with there. But um, yes, any of our public health departments, we can help you with um, getting in touch with that. If it would come back positive, then we'll work with you on getting the the appropriate treatment also. But we can do that right here in the North County. And I'll just add that, you know, at the start of this, um, a lot of commercial labs didn't have testing capability, but commercial labs moved quickly at the um, prompting of public health efforts. Um, And so really, this is something that Quest does, that LabCorp does, that really most facilities now our emergency rooms, et cetera, are well-equipped to screen and test for um, MPOX. So while at the very start of this in the summer, that was a lot harder to find, we're really in a good place now that um, testing is pretty widely available. Yeah, that's a really good point. Any Anywhere, if it's the weekend and you're really feeling sick, go to the emergency room, go to your urgent care. They have all, all of the testing that's needed to do this. What would a test look like? What, what does that process look like for people who are interested in taking a test? So at Planned Parenthood, when we have patients who are concerned about MPOX, we ask that they let us know when they arrive. 
Um, because of the contagious nature, currently the CDC recommends full um, PPE, which is personal protective equipment. Um, to me, it's a little bit of overkill, but of course we want to be safe and protective. Um, but, you know, we do, um, the, the providers are advised to wear, you know, a mask, um, a gown, gloves, et cetera, while seeing a patient. But the reality is, is that the patient comes in, um, we learn about what their symptoms are, and we take a look, and then we um, swab the lesions, which we try to do kind of um, with a kind of a, you know, just a, a brisk swabbing of each lesion. They used to tell us to unroof the lesion, and we've gotten away from that, which is great, a little less painful, but we just kind of aggressively swab the lesion. We do a few different lesions at different sites, um, and then we go ahead and send off the tests and usually find out within about two to three days, similar to the slow public health. And it would be the same process if they came to the public health department. We all follow pretty much the same same testing protocols. and um, But I do think it's good to let people know that we may have all that PPE on, so it can look a little intimidating, but it's really just for the safety of everyone. Um, and we have swabbed a few people and they seem to have tolerated that swabbing very well. So I think they were very scared about that, but to let them know that, um, you know, it's very quick and relatively painless unless you're having a lot of lesion pain. So I think that's just really important for people to know. So it's not so scary. Uh, are there uh, general times that testing is available in Slow County? So for us, it's just going to be by calling us and we'll, and we'll get you in and get you seen. Um, and that's how we would do it with the public health department, just giving us a call and we're going to triage that call and get you taken care of. Yeah. What's the phone number to call for our listeners? Um, they can call 805-781-5500. That's to our main call center. Thank you. I do want to also um, bring into the conversation some news that was reported yesterday by the Kaiser Family Foundation in a recent report um, that uh, there are uh, infection rates that show that multiple communities of color are at higher risk for MPOX. Um, and those disparate rates have increased over the last five months since it was documented to spread into the United States. The Kaiser Family Foundation reported that Black people are five times more likely to be infected with MPOX than white people, and Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders are four times more likely to be infected with MPOX than white communities, and Latinx people are three times more likely to get MPOX that, than non-Hispanic whites. And with, I think our sample size in the Central Coast is like around 100. Is that enough of a size, a sizable sample to... Um, to, to research into any disparities that we're seeing on the Central Coast? You know, I my understanding is that actually um, that white men are, are sort of the most common um, population that we're seeing have MPOX, but we of course see disparities. Um, we really see disparities in care really across the whole spectrum of healthcare. And um, when we ask ourselves why this is, it's not their skin color, right? It's their access to good um, health care. It's what are their living settings? Do they have that ability to isolate? Um, so there's a multitude of factors that play a role in racial disparities. Um, I don't think there's anything super unique to MPOX, um, but I'll let others weigh in. Darcy, uh, 
agreeing uh, with Dr. Gahi, it's also, it's really, you know, highlighting that kind of disparities and access to healthcare in general for our BIPOC community. Uh, and also what we've seen, we saw even during COVID, I would say for a lot of care and seeking of vaccinations and preventive care was that distrust of um, institutions, including, you know, government institution and health agencies on, uh, on providing healthcare to marginalized communities. So I think that that also, you know, can weigh into that is that systemic um, disparity that has existed for a very long time, which leads to that distrust of information. And Jenny, what is the county, how does that look like for the county? Oh, I'm so sorry. You cut out there. Can you say that again, please? Yeah. How does that look like for the county in, in, in terms of like the, the barriers? I know you mentioned working with the promotoras and language mm-hmm. access. Are there any um, sort of uh, strategies that you want to promote in terms of how we can make healthcare, not just related to MPOX, but um, like advertising materials or things like that when you talk, um, when you communicate with the community? So um, we're really lucky. We actually have an equity team that um, has just started over the last couple of years, which has really gotten out there to our community. Um, And I am seeing that here in our clinic with the populations coming in with our numbers um, and also just doing a lot of outreach. We do a lot of events, a lot of outreach. Um, Doing that face-to-face time seems to really be um, elevating how we're reaching our communities. And again, working with the Promotorists and some new groups that we haven't necessarily worked with intimately like we are now, I think is really um, taking that that um, information for all healthcare, not even just our MPOX and COVID, getting getting that information out there. So I, um, I'm really proud to be working with this, this team and working with an equity team that um, really just their whole mission is this equity, which I think is just amazing what the work they're doing. I think I said, when you're talking about, especially the, the marketing, you know, that face-to-face time is in, invaluable yeah. to help building that trust, but also, you know, recognizing where some of our communities are, are more likely to receive and be receptive to information. I know that the county uh, also has worked really hard on also getting um, radio advertisement and also it seems like, you know, not just digital flyers, but actual physical flyering information available in both English and Spanish to disperse around the community and recognizing the value, uh, especially amongst uh, our Latinx community of having that information through their radio programs that they listen to, having a, a physical flyer document that, that talks about um, preventative health in a, in a positive way. Um, so I think it, it, that's key to helping build those bridges and getting into the population that makes up our vibrant Central Coast area. Yeah, the face-to-face has been so important. With COVID, we really had to, to limit a lot of that FaceTime, and now we're able to really get back out there. And, and the feedback from our clients is just, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying, Dusty. It's amazing. 
I'm Mario Espinosa Kulik with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX Central Coast Public Radio, your listener supported radio station. If you've recently joined us for today's show and want to listen to the entire broadcast, you can. It will be available on our website at www.kcbx.org under the On Demand tab. Click on Central Coast Voices and you will find the show and many others to choose from. The voices with mine today are Dusty Collier-Worth, Executive Director of the Gala Pride and Diversity Center, Dr. Miriam Kiyahi, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood California Central Coast, and Jenny Taranto, Supervising Public Health Nurse for the Reproductive Health Program of San Luis Obispo County Health Agency. We are talking about MPOX and how it's affecting communities here on the Central Coast, and how the health equity has been, these barriers to health equity have been uh, broken down by some initiatives by the uh, county, by Gala Pride and Diversity Center, and Planned Parenthood, as well as how marketing plays a very essential role in communicating important and accurate information to our community members. We still have a little more time for your email questions or comments at voices at kcbx.org. We would love to hear from you all. And um, I know that we spent many time um, on emphasizing MPOX and, and health equity and talking about these different community programs, but I want to offer um, the rest of our time to our guests to share anything that we might not have gotten to that you'd like to add. Dusty, is there anything else that you want to include or emphasize? I think I just wanted to come back and highlight something that I know uh, was touched on a little bit when we were just talking about preventative uh, health um, and that seeking information. I think uh, one of the most important parts of this conversation um, is that active awareness, but but also that it leads to self-awareness for especially for those that are uh, likely to be disproportionately affected by MPOX. Um, which is just that that, recogniz- that recognizing uh, behaviors and or activities, activities that might put them at risk and how they can help protect themselves. Um, like we're talking about when you're going to a large gathering or festival, that cognizance of where are you likely to come in contact uh, with, with strangers in that instance. But I think it's also important to talk about, uh, you know, being a certain level of, of, of candor with uh, people that you may actively be seeking close contact with, uh, whether in uh, in a sexual way or, or prolonged intimate contact uh, of, you know, cuddling with long skin to skin, of, of t- having that tough conversation of how to protect, how, are you vaccinated? Am I vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Um, what are we doing to protect ourselves? What, where, where have we might've been exposed? Um, I think that that's important conversations that we can have in our close circles, um, as well as that cognizance of when I'm going to be out and about at a big, a big event or festival, anything like that, where I might need to add some extra layers of protection just to make sure. Dr. Giahi, would you like to share anything else with us? Yeah, I think I would like to just comment on you know, at this point in time, what a, what sort of a success um, story this has been. Um, you know, when we were in end of July getting the first few cases here on the Central Coast, um, you know, it was really quite scary knowing that it, it is it can be, you know, transmitted pretty easily and that this could go to really everyone. It could end up being with children, with pregnant patients, with, you know, with all 
all sorts of vulnerable um, people. And, you know, I really was proud to be a part of the mobilization efforts in our counties um, that really were um, from the public health departments, et cetera, um, to, you know, figure out how do we screen these patients? How do we treat them? How do we prevent it? What kind of vaccine efforts can we do? And what we're seeing now is that while there are still some cases occurring um, daily, we're really seeing a slowing of it. So we're seeing less new cases um, than were previously um, diagnosed. So we're seeing it go down. Um, I also want to express a lot of gratitude for the LGBT community who has helped make a difference um, by spreading the word, by doing um, prevention efforts and education, et cetera. And so um, currently we're doing quite well. We want to continue doing well. That This does not mean we should let our guard down at all. Um, the way we continue doing well is we vaccinate, we continue preventative efforts, um, and we screen and treat as early as possible. So I don't want to let our guard down, but I also want to just acknowledge that um, there have been a lot of improvements since um, this summer. Jenny, would you like to add anything else for our listeners? Gosh, they really did a great wrap up. That was wonderful. Um, yeah, I think I just want to tag on to them too, that we've um, <clears throat> really done a great job of really getting those numbers down um, and continuing to vaccinate, you know, making sure people are coming if they want to get that vaccine and to really take care of themselves. Um, you know, I think those are just really important things we've talked about today that I just really want to reinforce and never be afraid to call us. Um, any of us, any of our groups are always here. Give us a call if you have questions. If you're nervous about something or if you just don't understand or you want to get tested, um, always here, always, always here to help answer those questions. Um, that's that's what we're here for. We want to help. Wonderful, just wonderful. And as we have sort of alluded to in our conversation, not all of the work that we do is done in silos. There is a community effort and collaborations with partners that have uh, created a safety net for our community here um, across the Central Coast. And so I want to take this opportunity for you all to share any shout outs that you want um, with any partners that you're collaborating with. Um, to addressing issues of health equity like MPOX in our community. I'll give a shout out if that's okay um, to our promotorists, but also to Planned Parenthood and Gala, um, the Center Cap Slow, Cal Poly, um, all of those people that we've come together. Um, it, this has been a, a, a wonderful experience. Um, I hate that it's because of MPOX, but this this coming together and really networking, I think, is is you know huge shout out to all of those people. I mean, I'd like to give a shout out to Biden, <laughs> um, to the CDC, who, um, you know, sort of nationally took this on and, you know, early on recognized this as an emergency, public health emergency, and yeah. really did efforts to figure out how do we get that medication that we have stockpiled out? How do we maximize our vaccine doses? Um, I'm grateful for the California Department of Public Health, who made it very, very easy for me to get treatment um, to my patients. Um, you know, as soon as we had our first case, we were quickly able to collaborate with them and have medication sent to us virtually the next day um, to provide those treatments. Also grateful for every public health department, the slow public health department, the Santa Barbara. I'll also give a shout out to Ventura County Public Health. Um, and then again, the partners here um, like Gala, like Pacific Pride, um, et cetera. So just lots of people really coming together to get ahead of this. And again, as we've seen, um, have done a really great job. 
I say for sure. I mean, from a, a nationwide to state to local levels, just, you know, a lot of lessons learned, you know, from previous uh, pandemics, including as recently as COVID. And I, I would say that that's that quick and thoughtful, proactive approach to uh, a, a virus threatening uh, our community is why we were able to say that, you know, our numbers have stayed low and how we can keep keep those numbers low by not letting off that pedal of attention and importance of outreach um, and the phenomenal sense of community that we have specifically locally with slow public health, you know, planned parenthood. Um, I'd also give a shout out to my counterparts in other counties such as Pacific Pride um, for some lessons learned in their own clinics and how they approached it. Um, so it's been it's been a phenomenal uh, community building effort on the back end as we try to uh, mitigate this virus's effect on our greater community. Thank you all so much for joining us today and everything that you do in our communities to promote health, equity, safety, and well-being. Our guests today have been Dusty Collierworth, Executive Director of the Gala Pride and Diversity Center, Dr. Miriam Giahi, Chief Medical Officer of Planned Parenthood California Central Coast, and Jenny Taranto, Supervising Public Health Nurse for the Reproductive Health Program at County of San Luis Obispo Health Agency. We have learned more about MPOX and the ways that this global public health crisis is affecting communities here on the Central Coast and how the public perception of the virus has been influenced and shaped. While there are many persistent misconceptions about MPOX, thanks to accurate information, public health services, and community mobilization, there are also many resources for education, vaccination, testing, and treatment. We hope you will join Central Coast Voices for our next show on Thursday, October 13th at 1 p.m. with host Lata Murti as she speaks with guests from the Central Coast Food System Coalitions to discuss the importance of a sustainable local food system. Central Coast Voices has been sponsored by Action for Healthy Communities and the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation in collaboration with KCBX. I'm your host, Mario Espinosa Kulik, and thank you for joining us today.